Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ruminations from Pardes, where we explore all the many dimensions of the Torah. That is, the Peshat, the Ramez, the Drosh, and the Sod. And this week, it is Ruminations 37 and 38, due to the fact that this week is a double portion. Rumination 37. Why does scripture categorize the commandments? So that you may do all that Hashem has commanded you. Some theologies teach the categorization of the commandments in order to explain one or more categories as no longer valid. Those categories normally go like this. Moral, still in effect. Civil, only in effect where governments adopt them ritual not in effect replaced with the law of christ both supersessionist replacement theology and dispensationalists borrow from this theological monstrosity some messianics also use it and attempt to recast it in terms of jurisdictions as an example they might say That commandment is not for this jurisdiction because we are under the jurisdiction of Messiah. Make no mistake about it, whatever the supposed theological reason, unadulterated hypocrisy to teach against the literal obedience to biblical commandments and then claim that somehow they apply in some theological sense. These groups use man-made interpretive rules to undo the commandments of the Almighty all the while mocking Jews for following man-made rules. That is hypocrisy. In the Handbook of Jewish Thought by Rabbi R.A. Kaplan, Volume 1, Chapter 5, The Commandments, we read, The means through which Israel gains the good for which God created the universe are the commandments. If Adam would have kept his one commandment, then he would have immediately attained this goal. Since he did not, numerous commandments are required. Rabbi Kaplan, in the first two footnotes, refers to Derek Hashem by Rabbi Moshe Kayem Luzado. In the section on the purpose of creation states, God's wisdom, however, decreed that for such good to be perfect, the one enjoying it must be its master. He must be one who has earned it for himself and not one given it accidentally or by chance. God, however, is the one true perfection, being imperatively perfect, necessarily devoid of fault. This trait, in truth, is only God's, for no other being is perfect by necessity and devoid of fault by nature. Still, in order for a created being to come to resemble God to some degree, it is necessary that at least earn the perfection that is not an imperative part of its being, and it must avoid the deficiency that is not precluded by its nature. God therefore decreed and arranged that creation contain elements of both perfection and deficiency, as well as a creature with equal access to both. This creature would then be given the means to both acquire perfection and avoid deficiency, By clinging to the elements of perfection, 
this unique creature would make itself resemble its creator, at least the degree that it is possible for it. As a consequence, it becomes worthy of being drawn close to God to derive pleasure from His goodness. Then in this section on responsibility states, 145, These patterns and restraints are God's commandments. They include both positive commands and prohibitions. The purpose of each commandment is either to allow a man to earn and incorporate in himself a particular level of excellence, or to remove an an area of deficiency and darkness. This is accomplished through doing what the commandments require and avoiding what they forbid. The nature and details of each individual commandment, however, are based on all the aspects of man's true nature and character, as well as that of the necessary perfection. Each thing then has its conditions and limits as required from man's attaining this perfection. The highest wisdom knows all this, as well as the true nature and purpose of everything that exists. God therefore took everything into account and included everything necessary in the commandments of the Torah. It is thus written in Devarim 6.24, God commanded us to follow all these rules that he may grant us good. And then, in Volume 1, Chapter 3 of the Handbook of Jewish Thought, 315, Obedience to God's will therefore fulfills His altruistic purpose in creation. The psalmist thus said, You let me know the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, eternal bliss. Psalm 1611. And in Ibid 545, the commandments were therefore given as a means through which God would be able to fulfill his altruistic purpose in creation, and are all primarily for the benefit of those who observe them. It is thus written, God commands us to keep all these decrees for our eternal good. It shall be righteousness for us if we observe and keep all this commandment before God our Lord as he commanded us. Deuteronomy 6:24 and 25. In Matthew 19, we find the encounter of the rich man that asked, Rabbi, what good thing should I do in order to have eternal life? Yeshua then proceeded to remind him to observe the mitzvot. Then the man asked, Which ones? Yeshua repeats five of the ten mitzvot, including Vayikra 19:18. Love your fellow as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. Where am I falling short? Yeshua then said to him, Go and sell all your possessions, if you are serious about reaching the goal, and then give to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he was wealthy. The fact that the young man was wealthy was not the issue, but rather that the young man placed a greater importance on his wealth than being of benefit to others in his community. If one is wealthy, one of the most important mitzvahs one can do is give to the poor. This demonstrates an awareness of Hashem's goodness that he bestows on those who are willing to do the same. 
Of course, Scripture does not use these man-made categories, even though the theologians know that. They continue to hide from the people the real categories of the commandments. And after what I just read, their true nature as well. They hide them in translation traditions, but a diligent student of Scripture might uncover them as they study Psalms or other passages that praise the Torah of Hashem. A prime example of this is Psalm 119, which I have basically nicknamed the Torah Hall of Fame Psalm. The categories are found in the very words used to describe the blessed commandments that come from the mouth of the Almighty. They are words like mitzvot, instructions, mishpatim, judgments, edut, witnesses, or testimony, pikudim, precepts, and hukim, statutes, ordinances. When you begin to look for these Torah words, you will quickly see three categories that make up the Torah, which itself is a single unit. Hukim, mitzvot, mishpatim. Remember those three. This is the Torah's self-categorization, or better yet, how Hashem defines uh, the mitzvot. Self-categorization. Again, this is all part of the revelation of Hashem, and this is what the Torah is. It does not need man to define it, but rather Hashem has defined it and how we are to be in obedience to it and Him. If you track these words and compare them to one another, you discover something interesting. What God God calls mishpat is something which makes logical sense to the human mind. It makes sense not to steal or not to murder. On the other hand, a hulk is something that makes you scratch your head and wonder what purpose such a commandment has. The hulk of the red heifer is a perfect example of a hulk. Then there are all the mitzvot. These are the commandments that fill the middle ground between the mishpatim, which are logical, and the hokim, that make no earthly sense. It can be understood that the hokim are the commandments that reflect the world to come, whereas the mishpatim reflect this present world. For the lover of God, we reveal his glory when we live his commandments, his mitzvot, in our daily lives. Between these two extremes of reality, it is our duty to obey Hashem, not only in the things we understand, the Mishpatim, but also in the things we do not understand, the Chokim, and everything in between, the Mitzvot. In the Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 1, Chapter 7 on the Torah, we read, The Torah is the foundation of Judaism. Without it, Judaism cannot exist. God revealed the Torah through Moses. It is thus written, Moses commanded us the Torah and inheritance to the congregation of Jacob. Deuteronomy 33.4 It is a foundation of our faith to believe that Moses was the greatest of all prophets, both past and future. It is thus written, There has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom God knew face to face. Deuteronomy 34.10 And then there's the, a reference from this chapter in the footnotes 
from More Nevukim, Guide for the Perplexed by the Rambam. 239. We have given a definition of prophecy, stated its true characteristics, and shown that prophecy of Moses, our teacher, was distinguished from that of other prophets. We will now explain that this distinction alone qualified him for the office of proclaiming the law, or the Torah, a mission without a parallel in the history of Adam to Moses, or among the prophets who came after him. It is a principle in our faith that there will never be revealed another law. Consequently, we hold that there has never been, nor will there ever be, any other divine law but that of Moses our teacher, according to what is written in Scripture and handed down by tradition. The fact that may be explained in the following way. There were prophets before Moses, as the patriarchs, Shem, Eber, Noach, Methuselah, and Enoch. But of these, none said to any portion of mankind that God sent him to them and commanded him to convey to them a certain message or to prohibit or to command a certain thing. Such a thing is not related in scripture or in authentic tradition. Divine prophecy reached them as we have explained. Men like Abraham, who received a large measure of prophetic inspiration, called their fellow men together and led them by training and instruction to the truth which they had perceived. Thus Abraham taught and showed by philosophical arguments that there is one God that he has created everything that exists beside him, and that neither the constellations nor anything in the air ought to be worshipped. He trained his fellow men in this belief, and won their attention by pleasant words as well as by acts of kindness. Abraham did not tell the people that God has sent him to them with the command concerning certain things which should or should not be done. Even when it was commanded that he, his sons, and his servants should be circumcised, he fulfilled that commandment, but he did not address his fellow men prophetically on this subject, that Abraham induced his fellow men to do what is right, telling them only his will, or his own will, and not that of God, may be learnt from the following passage of Scripture, For I know him because he commands his sons and his house after him to practice righteousness and judgment, Genesis 19.19. Also Isaac, Jacob, Levi, Kohat, and Amram influenced their fellow men in the same way. Our sages, when speaking of prophets before Moses, used expressions like the following, the Beit Din, court of justice, of Eber, the Beit Din of Methuselah, and in the college of Methuselah, Although all these were prophets, yet they taught their fellow men in the manner of preachers, teachers, and pedagogues, but did not use such phrases as the following, And God said to me, Speak to certain people, so and so. In Likute Amarin, Tanya chapter 23, second paragraph, we read, The commandments constitute the innermost supreme will, and his true desire, which are clothed in all the upper and nether worlds, thereby giving them life, inasmuch as their very life and sustenance is dependent upon the performance of the commandments by the creatures in the lower world, as is known.
The Abir Yaakov, Volume 2, Chapter 13, The Sages of the Old Torah, writes, Shlomo HaMelech described the greatness of the Talmud Bavli by comparing it to a woman who cares for all the needs of her home, Eshet Kail, a woman of valor. The gematria of Eshet, Eshet is 701, which equal Gemara, Zo Gemara Bavlit. The gematria of Kail is 48, symbolizing the 48 ways in which Torah is acquired. See Perkiavot 6.5. The Talmud Bavli was composed by sages who had reached perfection in all of these 48 ways. Shlomo added the following praises for these sages and for the Torah scholars throughout the generations who study the Talmud. So when we read the following verses from Psalms, we can better understand the true nature of the mitzvot as the supreme will and his true desire, as Titania states. I have inclined my heart to perform your hukim, statutes forever, to the very end. Psalm 119.54 Hashem, I hope for your salvation. I do your mitzvot. Commandments. Psalm 119.166 The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous mishpat, Judgments endures forever. Psalm 119.60 We must bring together this present world and the world to come. Next up is Rumination 38. Why would anyone choose to be cursed? A bit of a perplexing question, but we will attempt to answer it. Curses do not alight without cause. Like a fluttering sparrow or a flying swallow, an undeserved curse will come home to roost. Proverbs 26.2 So why would anyone in their right mind choose to receive a curse? Hashem has made it very clear the source of blessings and curses. What drives men to continually choose the curses? Israel chose the curses that Hashem prescribed for disobedience. We can observe the effect of those curses when we read the history of Israel and the prophets, although ultimately we see their consolation and blessings in those same prophetic passages. The sages discussed the nature of curses in various places in the Talmud like the following. Rashi says, like a wandering sparrow that wanders, and like a swallow that returns to its nest, so will a vain curse come home to the, to the one who uttered it with his mouth. Swallow in Hebrew, daror. This is the bird known as arundel in Old French, hirundel in Modern French, and schwalbe in German. This is called daror because it lives... Dar in a house as in a field. And then Ibn Ezra on Leviticus twenty five ten Liberty meaning the word Doror is known. It means liberty as to flying swallow Doror Proverbs twenty six two refers to a small bird that produces music when it is free. However, if it is taken captive, it refuses to eat 
and starves to death. This kind of reminds me of another place in the Talmud, and I believe it's in uh, Sanhedrin, where the sages discuss where is Messiah to be found. And some posit the opinion that he is in chains in Rome. And when imprisoned, just like it says, like Ibn Ezra says here, if it's taken captive, it refuses to eat and starves to death. Similar to when Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. The sages equate the pit with a place where you cannot learn Torah at all, and then you end up thirsting for it. So our Messiah also thirsts. But it isn't coming upon us to return him to his proper place. His Jewish identity, his place in the Torah, and within Torah Judaism. The Jerusalem Talmud in Makot 2.6-9 If sentence had been passed when the high priest died, he is not exiled. It was stated, Rabbi Eliezer ben Jacob says, Refuge. Refuge was written at crossroads so that the homicide might see what was written and continue. Rabbi Abon said, A signpost was directing them. Rabbi Pincus said, Good and straightforward. Why is he good? Because he is straightforward. Why is he straightforward? Because he is good. Therefore he teaches the way to sinners. He instructs in the way of repentance. They asked wisdom, What is the punishment of the sinner? She told them, Evil will pursue sinners. They asked prophecy, What is the punishment of the sinner? She told them, The sinning soul is the one which will die. They asked the Holy One, Praise to him, What is the punishment of the sinner? He said to them, Let him repent, and it will be atoned for him. That is what is written. Therefore, he teaches the way to the sinners, the way of repentance. It is written, like a bird to move, like a swallow to fly, so is a man moving from his place. And then in Makot 11a, 14, the Mishnah teaches, Therefore the mothers of high priests would provide those exiled to cities of refuge with sustenance and garments so that they would not pray that their sons will die. The Gemara asks, The reason that the high priests will not die is that they do not pray. But if they prayed for the death of the high priest, would he die? But it isn't but isn't it written? Ask the wandering sparrow, as the flying swallow, so a curse that is baseless shall come home. Proverbs twenty six two. Why does the Mishnah express concern over a baseless curse? A certain elder said to him, I heard in a lecture delivered by Rava that it is not a baseless curse. As the high priest share the blame for the unintentional murders performed by these people, as they should have pleaded for mercy for their generation that no murderer should transpire, even unintentionally, and they did not plead due to their share in the blame. Prayers for their death could be effective. And then Ein Yaakov, uh, Makot 2.7, Folio 11, 
Therefore, with the mothers of the priest, etc., they shall not pray. But what if they should? Would it then bring about that he die? Does not the passage read, Proverbs 26, 2, As the wandering sparrow, as the flying swallow, so the curse that is causeless shall not come home? Whereupon a senior scholar replied, I understand from the lecture of Rabbah the reason of our case, because the priest should have prayed for mercy that no accident might happen in their generation, and he failed to do so, hence the responsibility. According to the others, the Mishnah says, they, the manslayers, should pray for their children that they should not die. Does it indeed depend on their prayer, the manslayers? But if they do not pray, then their children would die. What could they have done to prevent the crime? In Babylon it was said concerning this affair, Tobias sinned, and Zagud was punished. In Palestine it was said, Shechem wants to marry Dina, and Mabgi, his subjects, must submit to circumcision. A senior scholar, however, explained, I understand this from the lecture of Rabbah. It is because the priest should have prayed for mercy that no accident might happen in their generation, as it happened with one whom a lion had consumed and distance of three Persian miles from Rav Joshua B. Ben Levi's dwelling, and Elijah did not talk to him for three days. So why would Christianity choose the curses directed towards those who touch anointed Israel? It is plainly recorded in Scripture what becomes of those who persecute Israel. Why would any nation that was founded upon the principles outlined in Scripture, America, oppose Israel? Why would any person named Barak, Arabic for blessing, choose to be cursed? The answer to these questions is quite simple. Pride and arrogance. The proud one considers himself completely in the right, whether it be a theologian or a government official. They consider themselves above the curses, because they could not possibly be wrong. Nations that turn against Israel reveal themselves as ultimately arrogant, and thus we may learn the secret to blessings, the opposite of arrogance, humility. The theology of the humble is not as logical or systematic as the arrogant theologian demands because it simply depends on the words of the living God, not on some man-made interpretation of those words. Our source for blessing is quiet and personal. It is simply trusting in a wise and loving king. He is the sole source of all blessings. We are simply obedient subjects to the king of the universe. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the Torah of Hashem, and on his Torah he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Hashem knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalms 1, 1 through 6. We've reached the end of this episode. I would like to take this time to remind you all of the weekly reading from Likute Mohoran, which will be available as usual on Wednesdays. Since we are about a week away from entering the time known as the three weeks, or between the troubles, straits, I will be doing a special episode on this subject from sources that I have on it. I hope you found this episode to be of benefit and illuminating. Please leave a comment on my show page and let me know what you think. And I will see you next time on Ruminations from Pardes.